0: Women and Well-Being is an Edin Center podcast, highlighting emotional well-being and mental health through Jewish sources and interviews with experts and activists. Our host, Karen Miller-Jackson, is a certified Matan Morala Halacha, Jewish educator, writer, founder of Kifun Lashirut, guidance program for religious girls, and creator of Power Parsha. Just as the mikvah waters create the opportunity for renewal, we hope the insights shared here will serve as a springboard for discussion and rejuvenation.
1: everyone, and welcome back to a new year of the Eden Center Women and Well-Being Podcast. We are excited to continue bringing you more informative interviews and inspiring Torah thoughts to help us as women take some time to focus on our physical and emotional health. This month's podcast has been sponsored by Mindy and Mark Dickler in memory of their dear friend, Amy Ackerson, Aleya Hashalom. In honor of the month of Tishrei, I would like to talk about the theme of motherhood. This word brings up so many mixed emotions, happiness, patience, exhaustion, waiting, yearning, guilt, exasperation, and infinite love. Motherhood also, unfortunately, at times evokes pain, in particular, the pain of infertility, longing to be a mother, and tragically sometimes, illness and loss. We are approaching the month of Tishrei and the holiday of Rosh Hashanah. The Tzfilot of Rosh Hashanah are filled with stories and images of motherhood, of God creating or birthing the world, if you will, of barren matriarchs longing for children, of women moving from infertility to motherhood, of loss of children. The sages saw tremendous meaning in this imagery and believed it was something everyone, men and women, could be inspired by and connect with on Rosh Hashanah. Before we continue, I want to pause and share that today on Women and Wellbeing, we'll be joined by two special guests Rabbanit Hannah Henken, founder of Nishmat, and also the Yoatzot Halacha program, who is an inspiration to me and to the world. And we'll also be joined by the wonderful Yoatzot Halacha, Atara Ice. We will be speaking about some of the work that Nishmat and the Eden Center have in common and the publication of the English translation of Nishmat Habayit. Nishmat HaBayit is a collection of two vote on pregnancy, birth, pregnancy loss, birth control, and more, all written by female Torah scholars. We'll also be highlighting the joint partnership in the publication of the U.S. version of the Edden Center's Birkat Emunah on infertility and pregnancy loss. Returning to Rosh Hashanah, we say the following piyut, Hayom harat olam, today the world was birthed, was created. The word harat connotes hara, herayon, pregnancy and birth. At the same time, the piyut talks about av and banim. Im kevanim, kerachem av banim If we are as children to Hashem, Hashem be merciful with us as the mercy of a father for our children. It is surprising to find this image of the compassionate father since compassion is usually associated more with mothers. Perhaps this is a hint that ideally we all need to practice compassion in prayer and hope that Hashem is compassionate with us. Various other parts of the Rosh Hashanah liturgy talk about the symbolism of motherhood, of moving from infertility to birth, and of the pain of loss. Just let's look at the Torah and Haftorah readings. On day one, we read the story of Sarah and the Haftorah of Hannah, both being remembered and redeemed by Hashem. The Talmud in Rosh Hashanah contains a debate about when God created the world. According to Rabbi Yazar, Tishrei was the time the world was created, and also the time the matriarchs were granted fertility. The words used in these Torah readings and Haftorah readings are Pekidah and Zechirah, which connects with Rosh Hashanah, also called the Day of Zichron Tshua, Remembrances, Redemption. The Ramban teaches that the word Pakad, by Sarah, is like the word Zechira, and it does not only mean simple remembrance, it means divine remembrance, when prayers and longings are answered. On Day 2, we read the story of the Akeda, the suffering and the near sacrifice of Yitzhak. And the Haftorah from Yirmiyahu, where Rachel, the matriarch, is depicted as weeping and watching over her children, Am Yisrael. Finally, the sounds of the shofar are learned in the Gemara from the suffering of Em Sisra, the mother of Israel's enemy crying and waiting for her son to return. All of these sources evoke the imagery of longing, prayer, patience, endless hope, resilience, and compassion, key aspects of Rosh Hashanah for all of us. These mothers are a model for us all. May all of our tefilot be answered and may we all find zechirah pkida this Rosh Hashanah. Stay tuned for the next part of Women in Wellbeing for our interview with Rabbanit Henkin and Yoatzid Halacha Atara Ice. Atara Ice directs Nishmat's Miriam Glaubach Center and the U.S. Yozot Halacha Fellows Program. She is passionate about making sure every woman has a dignified experience in asking any question relating to reproductive health and Jewish law, and about making sure qualified women around the world have the opportunity to study deeply and become Yozot Halacha. She is a Nishmat Gevin Fertility Counselor, In 2002, she also received certification as a Nishmat Sharsheret educator, having completed Nishmat and Sharsheret's course in breast and ovarian cancers for the observant Jewish woman. Rabbanit Tchana Henken, founder and dean of Nishmat, already well-known, is a pioneer in redrawing the landscape of Torah leadership and scholarship for women. Her vision has guided Nishmat's Beit Midrash for over 30 years, where her legendary infectious love of Torah inspires generations of students. Together with her husband, noted halachic authority Rabbi Huda Hinkin Zatzal, Rabbanit Hinkin created the unique role of Yatzod Halacha experts in women's health and Jewish law. Rabbi Hinkin is a graduate of Yeshiva University Stern College and YU's Bernard Revel Graduate School. She received honorary doctorates from both Bar-Ilan University and Yeshiva University. She was awarded Israel's prestigious Agris Prize for innovative religious education and was named both Yakir Yerushalayim and a torchbearer in Israel's National Yom Atzimut Ceremony in 2017. Rabbanid Henkin made Aliyah in 1972 and lives in Yerushalayim. Welcome, Rabbanid Henkin and Yoetzer Halacha Atara Ice to the Women and Wellbeing Podcast. I'm so excited and honored to have you with us today. Um... We
2: are both delighted to be here, and thank you so very much for
1: hosting us. Uh, It's such a pleasure. I'll begin by saying that Nishmat and the Eden Center, each in our own way, share a passion for enhancing the overall experience of mikvah and Tarada Mishpacha for women and couples. Today, I would like to speak with you about some of the ways our work overlaps, I would also like to specifically highlight the recent publication of the English translation of Nishmat Habayit, a book of Shelotu Chuvot responsa written by Yehotsod Halacha on pregnancy, birth, pregnancy loss, birth control, and more. So, Mazaltov Tov on that. I also want to begin with being Ma'kir Tov. I have had the kavod to learn from Rabbanin Hinkin occasionally over the years, not only to learn from your Torah, but also your Derech Eretz. And I, like so many others, have been inspired by your commitment to Am Yisrael and to enhancing Jewish homes and families. I want to say thank you to you for being a role model to me and to the world and for taking time out of your busy schedule to be with us today. And t-
2: uh, uh, listen, Reverend
1: Karen, I've got to cut into this
2: because I am a great admirer of yours. And um, when I have the privilege of listening to you, I always come away with a broader look at the situation and a very, very wise look. So I want to thank you for everything you're doing
1: for Jewish life. Thank you. Wow, thank you. Thank you. I'm speechless. Uh, thank you. And Atara, no matter how many months go by, whenever we speak, I feel we immediately connect and have deep discussions about women and Torah, about tara and about education. I am so excited to speak with you here again with just a few people listening into the conversation this time. So let's begin by talking about some of your best-known work. Nishmat has spent the last 20 plus years training Yoatzot Halacha to answer halachic questions from women, mostly. Um, how do you think women asking women has influenced the answers and Shuvot by Yoatzot Halacha?
2: You know, it's really interesting to see how Yoatzot Halacha. Or how the phenomenon of al Halacha has developed. Initially, I envisioned it one way, and it's moved a totally different way. Initially, I thought that women are uncomfortable bringing something to a man, and I expected that most of our questions were going to deal with Marot, and they would be a clear yes. Um, maybe I thought that that was going to be the uh, major. Part of questions because that's typical with rabbis. The husband going to a rabbi with a question. What does he ask? He asks about colors, and the rabbi addresses colors. So I pretty much assume that okay, that's um, uh, that's what's going to be. That's what's going to be with us. Um, that's not what happens with us. What happens with us is that there are a universe of um, issues of suffering of of, um, of, of of dilemmas which suddenly surfaced as a result of their not having been addressed previously that women were comfortable airing these issues. So um, even with a black and white, or should I say red and white answer um, um the question rarely stays in that place. The question, the the answer, the question may start out there, but the answer very quickly moves into, well, let's see what can be done halachically so this doesn't repeat itself. You know, sometimes you have a solution to the woman's problem, but sometimes what you need to do is to look long range and say, Well, why is this happening? The questions having to be contraceptive stating or um, um, a woman's inability to tolerate a particular contraceptive and what are the other halachic options? um, What's the impact of contraceptives upon a woman's body and well-being? I would say that that's the kind of a question that when it's asked, especially if it's asked, be an intermediary. Either the woman asks the rabbi's wife and the rabbi's wife conveys question to the rabbi or the the husband goes to the rabbi with the question, the emotional dimensions of this, the ability to express the degree of angst or the degree of discomfort or, or the pain, the, the grief are not there. Very early on, we said, you know, when a woman goes to a post especially a noted post with a question which is intimate, so her desire is to get out of the room as quickly as possible, and her desire is also to portray herself in the most um, um, typical minimalist uh, way because we don't want to bear our hearts. We don't want to talk about ourselves. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about someone who intuitively realizes what what you're asking and on top of that comes with medical training, which I think is a very central part of what we've been able to bring to the table. Um you're able to say to the woman, tell me, um, what kind of contraceptive are you on? What kind? If, if someone doesn't know about contraceptives, so he'll say, well, are you on the pill? Um, your answer might say, are you on the triphasic pill? What pill are you on? Your answer might say, are you combining pill packets? What's happening? Mm. Um these are um, these are new things. These are new kinds of questions. It's it's a universe has been a uh, universe has exploded.
1: That is most certainly true. Uh, the the layer of empathy that uh, for women being able to speak to women, I think, is just an incredible incredible thing. And I I see it. I see it sometimes when I speak to women. The relief. The relief they feel being able to talk to another woman about such intimate and fit their physical body it's an incredible thing um so well, it's relief but and and the, and
2: the 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 empathy is a tremendously important factor but there I think there are three pieces empathy understanding the woman understands what the other woman is talking about. And the other is expertise, knowledgeability. How well does she know halacha and how well does she know medicine? The reason I'm saying women's health and medicine is because when you're dealing with uh, contraception or you're dealing with um, uh, women's health issues, which impact uh, use of the mikveh. If you don't know enough about those issues, well-meaning people, will, you know, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. I don't want to over-dramatize, but a lot of damage can be done by someone who doesn't know enough, even if that person is well-meaning. Yes.
1: Definitely.
2: And I do believe that that the people who receive questions are very well-meaning And sometimes very negligible. Sometimes the issue is just that the woman is not willing, comfortable, to be explicit enough. Wow. When I first
3: started started working as a Yohat Tzad Halacha in the United States, I remember a lecture that I gave, and I saw a woman sitting there crying during the lecture, and I actually thought to myself, maybe she has allergies, I don't know what's going on, but in... Afterwards, she came over to me and she was in tears and she said, where were you? Where were you when I needed you? I think I would have had a few more children based on what you're saying. Mm -hmm. And I thought that, okay, it's been a long time. It's been two decades of Yoat I thought that I would get that comment less frequently, Mm -hmm. but I still get that comment. I still get that comment from people. I don't, where were you? And my goodness, why didn't I think to ask and the difference in the kind of conversation that I can have with you is it's night and day. Uh,
1: the Edin Center programs try to emphasize, they emphasize how to look at the whole person, especially when teaching Kalot and, and Kala teacher training courses and in training MICFAL ladies. Um, how do you feel that women answering questions addresses this, this, and, and I know Rabbi H- Rabane Hankin touched on this, the importance of taking the whole person into the picture into account.
2: There are emotional dimensions to the marital relationship. There are um, there are issues of sexuality. There, um, um, it's not that Halakha doesn't recognize this, uh, that these factors are not always put on the table. Can I give you an example from something else? I was yes. teaching during the summer at Nishma and um we were learning through and during the course of one week, of um my husband Rabbi Yudah Henkin, Wait, I have to step back for just one moment. In the course in the course of our um reading, we read a paragraph which Rav Henkin was chastising another rabbi who said tell the women not to be afraid and they won't be afraid Um, this was said regarding the issue of yeshuv hadat that that halacha takes into account the frame of mind of the woman giving birth Hmm. so um Rav Henkin wrote on that, if you tell the women not to be afraid, they won't tell you that they're afraid, but what has happened to their fear? And at that point, one of the women blurted out, and I think she was surprised by the force in which she blurted this out, Rav Henkin has given women agency over their bodies, and I said no, no. Rav Hankin has pointed out that halacha gives women agency over their bodies. That's much bigger. Wow. I think beautiful. That's, um, I think that's what Yoisoda bringing to the table regarding women's questions. And it has to do with. Agency in your religious life, and um, and that's something that's
3: tremendous. Not only the information factor, I think it's also the language used, right? I think that oh yes. yeah, sometimes oh, we, yes. we talk about. I had women call me and say, "Hi, can I ask you a Yohetta question?" They're not asking a Hilchot question; they're asking a Yohetta question. I think to your point before, Karen, where like, in what way are we? And the Eden Center, Nishmat and the Eden Center, are both working to um, to see the whole woman. I think when a woman asks a Yo Eta question, that actually means, I know you're seeing me as a whole person here, and you're seeing how this impacts and reverberates in so many different parts of my life.
1: Wow, incredible. Uh, but
3: I've... One of the ways in which um, in which we educate our yoatzot Halacha and more specifically also our fertility counselors, which is a whole separate program of two year, one or two years of intensive training um, to become a fertility counselor after, after being certified as a Yohatzot Halacha, mm-hmm. um, one of the things that we do is we literally bring everybody to the table at the same time. We have the Yotso, we have the rabbini, we have the physicians and the mental health experts all at the same table, all at the same lectures. And I think that in and of itself expresses the extent to which our educational model is saying, we must look at that whole woman and we must look at all the different ways in which this, this quote unquote, tiny psa halacha might influence her life. Um, amazing. I
2: want to add something to that about language because language is very important. I think that the um, uh, English translation of Nishmat Havai gives rabbis a language, with a new language with which to speak to women. I'm not speaking about a change in halakha, but I'm speaking about a change in perception, which is of tremendous importance. Um, um, my hope is that every woman who hears this podcast is going to go out and purchase for herself the English translation of Nishmat Habayit in four copies. Mm -hmm. One for herself, one for her rabbi and two for the couples as an engagement present Mm to the couples who are getting engaged so that this, is their introduction and the reason is language. In all cases, the reason is language. We try, we look at Tarat that is not as something that a woman does, but as something that a couple does. And when we speak, we speak to the couple, we tell them, instead of saying to the woman, you are Tmeya, we prefer saying you, you plural, are prohibited to each other. In other words, there's a responsibility there which is shared by two people. Mm-hmm. And this, this is a huge difference. It's not a difference. It, it, we're not talking about the woman's status, we're the, the halachic status, but we're talking about a total change. There's nothing in halacha that objects to this, but this has never been done. You talk to the couple. The couple share responsibility. Tarot Mishukah is not simple.
1: Yeah.
2: It has implications for both members of the couple. It's extremely important that the rabbi realize that he needs to give that responsibility over to the couple. That's why I want to see this book as the engagement present that everyone receives because I want this introduction to Tzara Couples, you now have a new mitzvah. Yeah. It's not a simple mitzvah. We're here to help you with this mitzvah. It's your mitzvah as a couple. Yeah. And I think that many times rabbis use a language which is familiar to them. We all do. And um, there is here an introduction of a new and respectful language. I'm engaged in editing the second value right now. We're writing, we're editing, and, and it will be translated into English, but it's not yet finished in the original Hebrew. But instead of using language like or um, you need to do XYZ. Whenever we're able to use the language we recommend, we put options, halachic options on the table. If there's a um, hierarchy amongst the halachic options, we'll say that. But it's very important that a couple understand what the options are that are open to them. And this is um, not usually conveyed in a very brief conversation that um uh that sometimes takes place on these issues.
1: Yes, most definitely. Um so Ravani Hankin, you've moved us forward into our next question, which is focusing on the book and thank you for that incredible introduction. And of course I, as I mentioned before we uh started the podcast, I have both my Hebrew uh version and English translation. So um so they're already-
2: Karen, okay, you now need a pile. To give his
1: engagement. (laughs) (laughs) I will do that.
2: Couples don't receive 10 books. (laughs)
1: Amazing. Sounds good. So so one of the things that the book focuses on, Ishmael Habayit, is is birth control, contraceptives, as you mentioned. And I'd like to take a moment to think about um, the hormonal IUD, often known as the Morena, uh, which um which has sort of brought a little bit of a new reality to our world. Um, women sometimes who are on the morena. There's all sorts of interesting challenges around the morena, but we'll focus on this one, which is that w- when uh women have the morena for a period of years, sometimes they don't have to go to the mikvah for what could be a few months, what could be a few years. How have you found that the psac around the hormonal IUD um uh and potentially a break from going to the mikvah regularly has affected women, has affected uh, the couple, uh, the house. So how, how, can we, how can we talk about that for, for women who are in this new reality? Well,
2: first of all, I'd like to shatter a misconception. Um, I think there's a misconception out there that uh, ever since women went to the mikveh every month. <laughs> and um, without hormonal contraception, that's actually um, a modern situation. Um, women throughout the years, my husband pointed this out long ago, women in one of his true vote, women throughout the years did not go to the every month. I women have come to us with the question I keep ta'arat ha'mishpacha meticulously but having had the mirena now for several years I don't go to the mikvah and how am I going to educate my daughter about going to the mikvah it's an extremely important question and we haven't answered that but in years past women nurse women generally did not leave the home Um, After six weeks of maternity leave or four weeks or three months or whatever it is, um, women did not use formula. And it's typical for menstruation when a woman is nursing fully and not supplementing until the child is able himself to, um, uh, to deal with solid food. Generally, the woman is nursing um, around the clock for a good nine months, maybe longer. Um, um, and it's not atypical for menstruation to return after a year and a half. Chazal referred to years as Nisuleket mm-hmm. Um There are halachi ramifications to this in terms of. Yeah, guess. But uh, were Hazal referring to this because nutrition was poor at that time, and as a result, women were not menstruating as much as they do today, or is it that women were doing something else? And I think there are enough health authorities who are going to tell us that when a woman... Breastfeeds feeds fully. It's not unusual for the same pattern that existed to exist. Women breastfed. Women were pregnant. Um, women lost pregnancies. Um, uh, women had fewer living children and more pregnancies throughout the years. So when you look and you say, uh, you know, I have a moderate Question: My mother must have gone to the mikveh once every month, and now I'm in a different situation. And how do I teach t'ara and I think we need to recognize that it's not necess- It hasn't been normative for women to go to the mikvah month by month, my one um, um, over the course of years. You know, on the one hand, it's not um, unusual to find women who are using hormonal contraceptives and who don't receive their periods once a month. On the other hand, it's very important that we understand that hormonal contraceptives are not sucking candy. Um, Sometimes there's what I believe is a very disturbing phenomenon uh, Kala is told by her teacher to go um, uh, to go to her gynecologist and get pills in order to set her wedding date, and then that starts it off. She gets hooked. She has no idea of what the impact of her um, of those pills is on her body because she hasn't had a previous sexual experience. And we you know enough today to say that there are women. I'm stressing here that this is not universal. Hormones affect different people differently. But there are a good portion of women who experience depressed libido, sexual pain, um, and uh, psychological, uh, emotional impact of uh, hormonal contraceptives. So for some it works, for some it doesn't work. And it can be devastating. Yeah, it's very important for us to realize as well. Even though we may have, um, we may be seeing women who on the Mirena don't have their periods, um, either have little bleeding after the first half year or no bleeding, um, and they have to find a way to introduce their daughters. That yes, I do observe Harat Mishpacha, and I think, and and there are ways to do so. It's very important for us to realize that that women out there on the whole are uh, wait. It's very important for us to realize we can't generalize, and that numerous women out there are getting their periods monthly, including many women who have left hormonal contraceptives because they've realized they play havoc with their lives. So when we educate the younger generation, we need to do so we care. There are a lot of women who,
3: as you said, are interested in hormonal methods, and that is much more possible here in Israel than in other places in the world because of the fact that uh, their diaphragms are much more easily and properly fitted diaphragms. And the whole uh, understanding of the fertility awareness method is much better done in Israel mm-hmm. and in the United States and in Canada and uh, other parts of, of the world where uh, th- this is a real challenge because there aren't many halachic options when a woman doesn't use hormonal contraception or uh, or even the copper IUD. And that, that's part of what the challenge is.
2: Well, I was having a conversation at the end of last week with a woman who used the copper IUD. She was a woman who had a certain amount of psoriasis, a minimal beforehand. The doctor inserted the copper IUD within a week's time. Um, uh, She had inflammation all over her body. The doctor told her no connection whatsoever with the copper IUD. Um, The rabbi told her it's a good solution. When it was removed, the psoriasis subsided within a week. The doctor said coincidence. Um, and a doctor I spoke with said, "Listen, never say never." Um, that's just one example. This woman is thankfully now on the diaphragm, and you know, if necessary, can... Nishmat has trained um, diaphragm fitters, and incredible Um, and we expect to do more of that and there are women who have been trained and who who are now on our list but whom we haven't trained the women whom we've trained are all medical personnel they are either physiotherapists physicians um or nurses well I
3: think I think you're pointing to something incredibly important which is that every single person is Different reacts differently to all of these options. For some women, so also I highly recommend people read Nishmet Bayit because they'll have more of an understanding of why diaphragms are a halachic option. A lot of uh, and and give I highly recommend that they share this tshuva written uh, with their rabbanim because a lot of rabbinim, um are less familiar with the halachic explanation that uh, that sees diaphragms as equal. Um, options in terms of practice, but it's also important to understand that there are women for whom the diaphragm is medically not a possibility. It's, yes, and and so every case is so different. I want to get back to the question um, that you raised, Karen, which is uh, the question of how do we now instruct? Uh, how do couples handle this new uh, this new rhythm, even if? It's, Rebineen Henkin pointed us to the point that, well, it's not so new. (laughs) This is fairly common throughout um, the history of humanity. Um, But at the same time, for those, I've had this question very often. Well, we counted on those two weeks on and two weeks off to regulate our intimate relationship. And what do we do now that we don't have that? Um, And I think that that points to perhaps an overemphasis on uh, Rebbe Mayer's position, which if misunderstood, uh, might lead people to think that the only reason we have Hilchot Nita is in order to make the the, the reunification uh, on Mikvah night to be like the wedding Hello. night.
2: Exactly. Yeah,
3: which is a really complicated um, topic for a whole separate podcast. But yep. uh, perhaps that and, and there. But but I think a healthy uh, approach toward all of relationships is to see that every every season of every marriage. Um, needs different tools and every couple needs to be working on their marriage very proactively um, at all of the different points and even though Hilchot Nida hopefully can can complement and amplify any of the hard work on Shalom Bayit that a couple is doing, nothing can replace that hard work and nothing can replace those tools and um, and all of the time that a couple needs to spend together in order for their, um, for all parts of their marriage to be healthy and thriving. I'll add one more thing, which is that um, just the, in the 42nd siman of, of the book, there is a reference to um, to an attack on Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Akiva has an approach toward the concept of a zav, um, which basically renders uh, it impossible to become a Zav and all the rabbis look at him and they're like what have you done you've taken away the possibility of becoming a Zav and he responds by saying it is not your responsibility to make sure that there are Zavin which means we don't have to have this area of law once a month or in a a regular pattern our responsibility is to respond halakhically to whatever um, reality places before us
1: it's a really beautiful Um, beautiful point
2: and our responsibility is to um, support people in their uh, choices and to help people halakhically. Exactly. That's, I think, um, what's behind the work of the Yoatzot and behind
1: this um, history making book. So, uh, so to continue our discussion of the book, uh, I know that the, this volume of the book deals with some issues of uh, fertility slash more pregnancy loss, and um, I understand there's more to come. Uh, for those who don't know, I also want to mention that Nishmat has a, a program. Actually, Atara mentioned Nishmat has a program to train fertility counselors. And we are very excited that you have partnered with the Eden Center on a really incredible resource called Birkat Emuna, which was recently published in the United States and which supports uh, women and couples who are experiencing infertility and or pregnancy loss. Contains to mindfulness tips, a special pullout for husbands, and beautifully written personal accounts in poetry and prose to let women and couples know that they are not alone in this challenging time with a special emphasis on the particularly challenging time of Mikvah. Uh, we really thank you for your partnership. And I want to mention to our listeners that for a limited time, the Edden Center is offering copies at no cost. If you'd like this re- wonderful resource, you can order it for uh, yourself or family member or friend through the Eden Center website or through, uh, in the U.S., through your local yo-atzet. Um And uh, we are looking for volunteers to bring copies to mikvahs, shuls, kala teachers. Uh, so take this for karamunah and your nishma habayit and, <laughs> and please distribute. So one final question from your work in, in, uh, as Yawatzot in the field and and training Yawatzot. What is um, one area of NIDA observance that women going through infertility find particularly challenging? Um, and uh, and how have you sort of dealt with
0: that?
3: Just wanna say we're so honored to partner on bringing your Katona to communities all over the world to women and couples who could benefit from it. Um, we handed it out at our continuing education, our annual continuing education for Yoisel Halacha, and the we were so grateful uh, to bring them home to their communities. So thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that um, honestly, I, I, it, it is so hard to to say one area in which a couple facing a fertility challenge is challenged um, in the in the keeping of Niza and Tzara Mishpacha because you we could talk about the monthly visit to the mikvah where they're going and they 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 were hoping not to be there uh this month um and they were praying with all their hearts not to be there this month and yet here they are again and the and the prayers that they may have and the and the um and the sadness that they're carrying that that they don't know uh what this next month will bring I can also add that, um, and the, uh, that every step of the, the of the tahara process may include within a lot of concerns in this kind of way. But beyond that, when a couple is facing a fertility diagnosis and going through fertility treatments, there are other halachic questions which come up at every turn. They're wondering, um, and and it's interesting because in Nishmat Habayit. So on the one hand, the volume on fertility has not yet been written. And on the other hand, what's so amazing about Nishmah HaBayit, this first volume, is here we are and we're meeting these real-life cases of women living living ha-mishpacha, and we're seeing the application of a lot of different halakhic concepts to this particular snapshot of Jewish life, of, you know, or, or of the life cycle. And, um, and when I'm reading through, I, I made a, all these kinds of notes of, oh, good, this piece is relevant for this fertility case. Right? Even though that's not the case written in this book, we're getting we get a ton of information about the Piskei halacha that, um, that uh, Rev Henkin, that Bicherno and Rav Verhaftig, um, and have guided the auto in writing. and so, but what I'm saying is I, I don't know that there's a point in which it's not complicated, right? I think that a couple who's facing a fertility challenge uh, compounded upon just the regular quote, needs a question that they have, is there's a lot of emotion, and there's a lot of um a lot they need to work through. And i I can't boil it down to to one question because I think that um, also, different different couples and different women will respond at different points. Different different points might be more painful or difficult or complicated or sources of hope. And no one case um, is is a copy of the, of, of the next.
2: Yeah. So Karen, thank you so much for giving us this opportunity and I want to wish a fruitful year to everyone in um, uh, in their endeavors, may be a Shana for every individual and for Amis El Zaklal. And we also have good wishes to the world at large.
1: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. And we look forward to more incredible fruitfulness from Nishmat and partnerships between Nishmat Eden and Adin uh, and Bemet. Thank you. And Shana Tova.
0: Thank you so <laughs> Thank you much. Time. Shana Tova. This podcast is hosted by the Eden Center, whose goal is to reinvigorate the ancient female ritual of Mikvah as a sacred space for women, and use it as the natural platform it is to connect to Jewish women's health, well-being, and healthy relationships, enhancing Jewish women and family life. We invite you to visit our website, www.TheEdenCenter.com, to learn more about our work in making Mikvah relevant, welcoming, and meaningful. This episode is a product of the Adam Center. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please consider sponsoring a podcast in dollars or shekels at bit.ly backslash E D E N P O D. Additionally, give us a five star rating, share this podcast on social media and encourage others to subscribe.